had this picture of, you know, in the winter, maybe it's just where I grew up, maybe you didn't have the privilege to grow up the same way, but where I grew up, when it was cold in the winter, you light a fire and then you put a big stump on the fire. That fire burns, day, that, that stump actually burns day and night. Um, and in the morning you come again and you just put some finer wood there and then it catches again and it goes. And I think for some of us this morning, that's a picture of where we are at. It's not like we're not burning. It's not like we've gone cold. We just need a bit of fire so that we can burn bright again. And I believe God wants to light that fire this morning by just giving us some reminders of what He expects of us. Um, I know that you might have some expectations of what you think you should operate at which level you should operate. I think you might have some expectations at what level other people should operate. But maybe it will be good to go back to see what does God expect of each one of us here today. Because we, we live in a society that each one is an expert. Just because you can Google, that makes you an expert on a certain topic. And we all have an opinion on it. And we end up bringing opinions into church. Uh, we bring our opinions, and we bring opinions of people that we've Googled, and what they say seem right. But we haven't tested what they say. We haven't seen their lives. We haven't seen how they walk with God. And people can make statements on, on Facebook and all that, and we take that as, as truth. And then we bring it into, into our congregation, and we expect our leaders or the congregation to respond to Google. <laughs> and God has given us a very clear instruction manual. You don't have to look for anything out there. It's here. And if we read this, if we invest ourselves in the Word of God, we're not going to find it hard to find what God has for us. So, Last night I spoke to a couple of people and as I was speaking, God dropped this in my heart. So, so this, that's where God, the message came from for this morning. Um, I think sometimes we have an expectation that I call them the paid professionals. That's the leaders. That we expect the paid professional to, do every, to live my Christian life on my behalf. We, we act sort of like we're little birdies in a nest and the paid professional must go out and get the food and come back and he needs to drop it in the mouth of the one who screams the loudest. <laughs> that, that's the bird that gets fed. When the mother comes back to the nest, the one that screams the loudest gets fed. And sometimes we look at church and we almost operate in the same way. Where we expect the paid professional or the elders, or whoever we God as those that are leaders, to go and search the word of God, to go and find truth, and then come back, and we just scream, feed me, feed me, feed me, and then we expect them to feed us. And if we're not satisfied with the food, we spit it out and we scream again, feed me, 
feed me, feed me. And I think God wants to, Leonie made a point here this morning that was so in line with what I felt God said is that there's not just a season. She said there's a season where we are responsible for our own growth. She's right, but it's more than a season. We are responsible for our own growth. That's it. I had Afrikaans teacher at Gordon High School years ago. He used to say, like, ons moet vir ons eie groei verantwoordelik wees, punt, paragraaf, onderstreep met rooi. And that's how important it is. That it's an absolute statement. It's more than just a scene. So, I'd like to speak to you um, out of Acts, because that's where we find most of how the church grows, right? Or how we see the church. Is this thing just very sensitive? I'm imagining myself. No, 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 no. I'm just getting. Uh, I normally have an intro like that when I'm trying to find out what I actually want to preach about this morning. <laughs> yeah, of course. It, it's just that I, I find it hard to prepare just a teaching and just bring that. I like to actually feel. The room and feel what's needed, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to individuals, and then and then take it from there. So, yeah, uh, we're going to read Acts six, verse eight. Hopefully, um, I've only given it that because I, I I'm thinking it's coming from there, but we might expand outside of those boundaries. And this this is talking about Stephen. Stephen that we regard as Stephen the deacon, right? That's, that's the guy we, we refer to, Stephen and Philip, the, the ultimate deacons. So let's read about him. And so I'm going to read from verse 8 till verse 15. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that, just give some feedback about that portion of Scripture. And then we're going to do a little bit of a, a walkthrough. So it says here, and Stephen, full of grace and power. I want you to pay attention to that. Full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the free men and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of the Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So here's the first thing. How do you know that you filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Stephen was a man filled with the Spirit. How do you know that you have been filled with the Spirit? Is trouble starts. <laughs> we think when we filled with the Holy Spirit that now everything's going to be rosy. No, no. The dispute starts. When people start disputing with you about, not about your viewpoint, but about how you live your life for Christ, it's actually a pat on the back that you fall with the Spirit. Unfortunately, the other side is true. If you're the one disputing with people who's living their life on Christ, then you're not full with the Spirit. If 1 plus 3 is 4, then 3 plus 1 must be 4. So if you believe, if you agree with me, that being full with the Spirit and, 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 and living your life for God can sometimes be offensive to others who have opinions about Christianity. 
And if they then come and dispute with you, then there's disunity. And the Holy Spirit brings unity. So if they dispute with you, I'm not saying you can never talk about the Word of God. I'm talking about disputing. Right? I'm right, you're wrong. So if they're disputing with you, that means that they can't be filled with the Spirit. Because if the Spirit is in both of you, there will be unity. You don't have to fight for unity then. So if, if you find yourself at the end of the one disputing, then instead of taking on the other person, maybe you should go back to the Word of God and saturate yourself in the Word of God. Saturate yourself in the presence of God. So that you can be filled with the same Spirit and you'll find that the disputes will disappear. So, these guys were disputing with Stephen. But listen to this. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. The important thing there is, it's wisdom and Spirit. It's not knowledge. Sometimes we argue points regarding church or our walk with God from an intellectual point of view, from a knowledge point of view. And then it ends up in this big argument. So this actually gives every believer the um, wonderful assurance that it doesn't matter what your qualifications are. When I was, I mean, I'm just as a matter of transparency, my best three years at school was in matric. <laughs> <laughs> and there might be other people that, that, that they've got university degrees and they've got, they've got more degrees than a thermometer. They just have degree of the degree of the degree. And, and then they want to argue from an intellectual point of view. But I want to tell you, you can have my dad used to say, I always thought that he passed standard seven, but he said, later years I understood, he said he attended standard seven. <laughs> it's a difference. But my dad could preach the word of God in such a way that people with degrees would fall on their knees and repent for God. So it doesn't have anything to do with your educational standard. It's wisdom that's brought in by the Holy Spirit. And that evens the playing field for it. Nobody should feel that they're not worth being in a, in a congregation of this. Nobody should feel that they're above anybody else who, who's in this congregation. Because it's not about your education. It's not about your status in the world. They couldn't argue with Stephen because of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So I suggest, I suggest that we press into the Holy Spirit so that we can acquire wisdom. And when that happens, we can answer those who come with the most difficult questions. So, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came to him, upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak, a word, to speak words against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say, 
that this Jesus will destroy this place, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses that Moses had delivered to us. And, and gazing at, at him, all who sat at the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here's the question. When you speak, if you had to, if you, if somebody had to record everything you spoke about this week, everything you said, and they would play that back over this sound system here this morning, would you be cringing? <laughs> or would you be sitting back as me? The world will bring accusations. The world try to find fault. I always say that we should be, as a believer, you should be susceptible. You should be vulnerable to the accusation of antinomianism. I'm explain that in a minute. But you should not be guilty of it. Antinomianism, anti, is against. So it's anti-law. Antinomianism is anti-law, meaning that we should understand grace to the point where we live in the grace of God so freely that to others it might seem that we totally anti the law, that, that the law of God doesn't hold as any hold on us. So, so we should understand grace so freely and we should live in it, but we should never live in grace as a license to sin. So we should be susceptible to the accusation, but not guilty. So in the same way, the world can accuse you of, you said this and you said that. The question is, are you guilty of speaking things that are not from God? Or are you guilty of speaking the words that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart? And, and that's what I'm calling you to do today. That's the little, the little sticks and, 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 and firewood that I want to put under this big stuff today and say, let's burn again for Jesus. You see, we can easily walk into a meeting like this and as we worship, you can go, but I'm battling to worship. And you will automatically assume it's the team. Now this team gave their heart today. This team took you, if you wanted to go with, you could easily have landed up in the presence of God. The question is, why didn't you? Why were, and some of us, some of you were battling it, yeah? but it wasn't the team's fault. It was probably how you came into the presence of God. See, you, sometimes when you go on a journey, no, Willem has lately posted quite a bit on Facebook about his caravan and when he goes to school by he's not inviting people with just him all by himself. And the caravan has been sold. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son goes The green and crunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but normally if people don't, if they have a caravan or a trailer, they don't often go on holiday. You start storing stuff in the caravan. Right? It becomes a storage space. And then when you want to go on holiday, you have to unpack the caravan to pack the caravan. 
Otherwise, stuff goes on holiday with you that shouldn't be going on holiday with you. Now, that's how our Christian lives are. If we're not actively involved in the congregation, we start storing stuff in our lives that can't go on the journey the day we decide to go on the journey. Then we come to a, con- a gathering like this and we battle to worship because there's baggage in our trailer. And we, w- there's no space for the worship. There's no space for bringing in the presence of God because I didn't bother to unpack the trailer before I came on this journey this morning. In a moment I'll address that slightly deeper. Let's just look at this. It says here, um, they accused him of saying stuff that he, that he did say. But what he said was truth. And I want you to, to get to that place where, where you are. Some people when they get attacked, when they get uh, accused, they shut up and they stand back. That's not the response. We stand for truth. We speak the truth, but in love. And this guy didn't withhold anything. But then there's this little last line that I can't resist, and it says, And gazing at him, after they accused him of heresy, after they accused him of blasphemy, they looked at his face, and it looked like that of an angel. So can I ask you, when you get accused, when you get falsely accused, what does your face look like? Would, would we describe it as that of an angel? So, can I ask you this question? What was the last sermon your face preached? This guy's face preaches sermon so big that it's written in the Word of God. What was the last sermon you made? Because we have the wonderful ability. We, oh, we, we don't say a word, but your face says everything. You're not happy. I mean, just think about it. If you stand in this long queue, waiting to draw money, and somebody presses in front of you, you might not say something, but your eyes go like a lot of thingy. <laughs> yeah. What is your face? What's the message? You can be standing up here preaching the most wonderful message. You can come up Sundays and give testimonies and bring prophetic word. But what does your face preach the rest of the week? Because that's the truth. That's the real message that you're bringing across. So let's just look at this quickly. Stephen is regarded as the, the ultimate deacon. But what we read here is, is actually how he operated as a deacon, right? We say here, he was full of grace, full of power, and great wonders and signs came. To, um, he did great wonders and signs. But if, I'm not, you don't have to go there. If you just go further back in chapter 6, there we at the, there we at the, the, the occasion where the apostles are preaching and there's, there are women without food. They're being neglected. And the people come and say, there are women that need to be taken care of, so we actually, we now need deacons. And this is the, what the apostles said to them. It says, um, go 
and pick out from you seven men of good repute, right? Full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. And so we mistakenly think that that is the uh, criteria or characteristics of a deacon. That they must be full of the Holy Spirit. That they must be men of good repute, men or women of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Just get those words right. It says, um, yeah, full of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of good repute. And we think that that's the criteria for deaconship. It's not. When they sent them to look for these men, Stephen already was a man of good repute, full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, he was just a saint. He became a deacon because, because they could see he was different than others. But Peter, uh, Stephen the saint had a good reputation, as full with the Spirit, and full with wisdom. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you, when we become deacons, it's not so that we can start deaking. <laughs> when we become deacons, and when, when, when God, through leaders, appoint deacons, it's actually just a public acknowledgement of what you have been doing already. You don't start. You don't then find a good reputation and go buy one. That's the way we do it nowadays. You just buy a reputation. And then you sort it. You can't just find a new reputation and, and, and get filled with spirit and wisdom. The average saint, that's what the word of God says, the average saint should live like that. And then you become a deacon and look at the difference here. When we read it, where we read it, it said, now he's full of power and grace. So he's first as a saint, He's got a good reputation. He's got uh, Holy Spirit and wisdom. But now he becomes a deacon and he operates as a deacon and power and grace. That's added. The others aren't taken away. That's added. And then it says, and, great si and he did great signs and wonders. Did you see that? Now, let's go back to Acts 2 in our head. In Acts 2, where the church started, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And then it says, and the apostles did great signs and wonders. That was something at that moment for the apostles. But four chapters later, the deacon does signs and wonders. You see, we sometimes think that that is only for, for the apostles or for the leaders. But the key is in Acts 2, when it says, and they devoted themselves. You see, they didn't sit back and feed me, feed me, and I don't like this worm, bring me a different worm. No, no, they devoted themselves. What does that look like? That means, like Naomi said, you are responsible for your own good. You are responsible for the frame of mind that you walk into a meeting like that, this. You're responsible for your frame of mind. You're responsible for the close connection between you and God. If I had to, if I had to, I didn't even think because I didn't know I was going to preach on this, but, but if I had to have a, a piece of, 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 of cotton, you know, 
that you do needlework with. You can take one piece like this, and I could give it to Willem because he's strong. I can ask him to break it, and he'll be able to break it. Then I'll take the half that he broke, and ask him to break it, and he'll break it. And I'll ask him to break the half that he's taken, and he'll be able to break it. But there will come a point where he can't break it. Not because the cotton became stronger, but because there's no more grip on the cotton. Because of, and if you picture that in terms of your relationship with God, if you're falling at a distance like Peter, then you will deny him. But if you're living close to him, if you make sure that your relationship with God is closer, the enemy can't get a grip and break their bond. You're responsible. You're responsible. And just, just, just think about this. Peter follows Jesus at a distance. That's what the word said, right? And then what happened? If you're at a distance from Jesus, people come between you and Jesus. Because when Jesus looked at him, he looked at him through the crowd. And when people come between us and Jesus, that's where offense starts. And we live like our cheeks are pumped two bars. <laughs> cheeks are standing like that because you've taken offense. And then it's the church's fault. No, you take responsibility for your walk with God. You take responsibility for where you act at this moment. And that's why it's so important to go and look at And I, I, maybe I'm not even going to get to what I wanted to say because maybe there's something here that God just wants to unpack a bit in Acts 2.42. Right there, it's the infant church. It's the church in its simplest form. Unsophisticated. Untouched. Without the fingerprints of man on it. And there, the, the, the everyday saint, the everyday believer comes to grip with God. And a guy can search the apostles' teaching, um, devote himself to the apostles' teaching, and then, then two chapters later, he lives at a place where he's filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom, so that he can be used by God to serve other saints. And when he starts serving them, he now acquires grace and power and wondrous signs and uh, um, uh, 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 wonderful signs being done through him. All because he started off devoting himself. Nobody promoted him. He devoted himself. So if you want a amazing walk with God, if you want to, 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 to do amazing things for God, don't wait till somebody promote you. The amazing thing is, wherever he preached, there was no pulpit. Sometimes we wait for this space. I know if they give me that space, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show them. The day they give me, the day I stand behind the pulpit, I'll, I'm going to show them what I can preach. And then five years later, they haven't given you that opportunity yet. And then the grumbling starts because you feel overlooked. But a pulpit is something that man makes. Jesus spoke from a boat. Jesus stood at the sea. Jesus walked amongst people and sat in a field. You don't have to wait for a pulpit to tell people about Jesus. David 
could kill Goliath, not because he threw a stone at something for the first time when he saw Goliath. It says, because I killed the baby, the lion and the baby. Actually, because I threw a stone at some stuff that I shouldn't have been throwing. Ah, he might have been throwing stones at Dassies. He might have been throwing stones at anything. Whatever ran, he just got you, buddy. Right? But he was practicing his skill when there wasn't a giant. Sometimes we wait until we want to wait to be appointed. I promise you, you. You, you can't imagine how this flame will burn on a Sunday morning if you walk in here with some firewood that's already burning. Sure. Sure. Yes. Amen. And you just come and put it together. Sure. You know how much easier it will make the worship leader's job? Yeah. Because you bring something that's already burning. You're not Elijah. You come in here and you throw water on the stuff. You come here and, you, and then you expect the worship leader to light it. Come on! <laughs> come with something burning. The problem is, and we, 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 we don't realize how important this is. Um, the problem is that the church today is not uncontaminated. The church today is not unsophisticated anymore because of man. As we sit here, I can almost say with certainty that not every one of you, and now I'm not saying just Jen is it, I'm, not, I'm just using the example. You, not everybody that's here has been in Josh Jen, since you became a Christian. You've been somewhere else. And without you knowing it, that leader or leaders that you've come through has left fingerprints on you. Has left a mark, has shaped you in a certain way. And then you come, and, and please know, Willem hasn't paid me to preach this sermon, okay? He didn't even nudge me. This is just, as I spoke last night, God said, that's what he needs to talk about. But, the church in Acts 2 had no fingerprints on no mandate from man, no movement style or this is what we're going to do. It's just the Word of God and the Saint. Holy Spirit and the Saint. But today as we sit here, we've got fingerprints on us that shapes us in a slightly different way. And now we come and we battle to fit into, into what's happening here. And God's saying, just allow me to wipe the fingerprints off you. Allow me, we say often, uh, you are the potter and the clay. Mold me and make me, don't touch me today. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what we're saying. Eh? Don't touch me today. <laughs> the one other thing that stands out for me in Acts 2 was once they got together and once they started feasting on the apostles' teaching, once they opened the scrolls and started reading, something happened inside of them. Yeah. It wasn't knowledge. It says, and the fear of God came 
upon all of them. Sometimes we are so puffed up with our knowledge, we don't even have fear of God. Because we feel, I don't have to fear man. I can prove a point. I, I, I can take man on. I can take the leadership on. I can do this. I can do that. I can dispute. Problem is, we don't know where the boundary is. And we start crossing that boundary where we even lose the fear of God. And maybe, maybe you can go. I don't know if you can find it that quick, but Isaiah 28, 29. Can you find it for us? Um, Sorry, didn't mean to go there, but we now we can go there. Twenty-nine, verse thirteen. Only thirteen. Only thirteen. Okay. Here's one of the fingerprints that man has left. On saints in the church. It says here, and the Lord said, Because the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is the commandment taught by men. That's one of the fingerprints that religion has left on God's people. That they have developed a fear of God, but it's the one. That some other man told him how to fear God. Fear of God looks like this. You close your clo- we always say, close your eyes and bow your head. I'm, I'm still finding the scripture there. <laughs> I'm a scripture guy, I like to see you there. But, but we've developed sayings, I'm not criticizing, but I'm warning. I'm bringing an awareness that there might be things that you think. This is the way the church should be. But it's been put into you by man. And you might actually feel, but, but it's a fear of God. And because I love God, I do this or I speak. I change my voice when I go holy. You know, I'm, then I'm... Yeah. God's calling us to be holy, not holier than thou. There's a difference. But even our fear of God, we need to be cautious that it's not something being taught by man, but that it comes by revelation when we see Jesus for who He is. When you have, when you or I have an encounter with Jesus, when we truly are in His presence and the Holy Spirit of God comes, real fear, true fear of God will come down on us. And then, then you will desire to devote yourself to the Word of God, because that's what the boss was teaching. They didn't have the Old and New Testament the way we had. So they devoted themselves to the Word of God. And because of that, this man was an average guy in an average town. Now comes and says, he's full of the Spirit, he's full of wisdom, he's full of power, he's full of grace, and he does miracles. Some of us, we're just full of ourselves. There's no space for the other stuff. And God's addressing that because that's the very reason. That's the, the cold water or the wet blanket that sometimes hinder worship. 
As much as I'm calling people to come in with a spirit that's overflowing with love for Jesus. We heard that. Jesus, we just love you. As much as we, we call for people to walk into a congregation, into a meeting such as this, and ooze the love of God. Because that's, that's led by the Holy Spirit. That's the outflowing of the filling of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, if you come in with any other spirit than the Holy Spirit, you're going to cause a disruption. You're going to cause a breakdown or a holding back. And maybe the Holy Spirit at this moment is working in your life and just reminding you and saying, listen, whatever the thing is that you had in your head when you came here this morning, maybe, maybe just repent of that right now. Because God wants people that don't worship Him with their mouths or their lips. That's, that, that is the other fingerprint that's on people. There are modern day churches. I'm not going to mention names because I'm not out to attack other people. But unfortunately, there are leaders who are more interested on, in bounds on seats than in people's life in their walk with God. So they want the place full. So what do they do? They play the kind of music people like. And people stand and they will sing and they lift hands and they jump around, but it's empty. Because they're worshipping with lips and they're worshipping with, with, uh, uh, with their mouth, with their lips, but not with their hearts. It's, it's a lifestyle. This is how we do it. And they walk out of there and they light up a cigarette and they go to their car because nothing has really changed. They get in the car and they scream at their wife and the, the wife gets upset and Tells him where to get out of the bus. He goes home, he kicks the dog, the dog bites him. Point is, if that, how is it possible to walk out of a place of worship without being changed? Yeah. After the meeting, I'll show you what I mean. You don't have a swimming pool. Who's got a swimming pool there? I don't see anybody else. Let's find one of the service. Let's find the swimming pool. And we go there. And I take you and I throw you in it. And you try and come out dry. <laughs> and just as it is, as it is it's physically impossible for me to throw in a pool and you come out dry, unless the pool is not filled with water. Um, the same, it's impossible to really be in the presence of God and walk away unchanged. If you leave unchanged, then you worship with your mouth and with your lips, but not with your heart. And unfortunately, that's a fingerprint that's on the church today, where some churches sit, that's okay. As long as you're here, as long as you bring your money. But we're not that kind of church. We'd like to see you worship in spirit and truth. We'd like to see you worship without the fingerprints 
on you. And for some it's more than fingerprints, it's scars. Some of us not only carry fingerprints of previous children, we carry scars of previous children. And God wants to change that this morning. Because that scar, that fingerprint, is actually a constraint or limitation. It limits you from getting, you want to, everybody else wants you to, but you can't. Because that scar, if, for instance, um, I, I used to be a singer, I used to sing publicly on stage, act in, in, in plays and stuff. Um, I used to sing with opera singers in the waterfront. I loved it. But I can't sing anymore. Because I, June, June this year, it will be three years since I had a stroke. And the stroke damaged my vocal cords. And when I sing now, I sing in, 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 in chords that has not been discovered yet. <laughs> and by the way, for those who haven't, like, haven't met me before, I had that stroke and then a year later I had another stroke. So my brother calls me two-stroke. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, I can't sing. And even if I practice again, every now and then something comes out. But I can't sing because there's scars on my vocal cords. And if I sing now, there's a limitation. Now some of us have scars on previous church leaders on our lives. And we battle, and we, we try and break free, but we can't. And we need people around us to treat that scar. You can't go through life scarred forever. That's the beauty of the love of Jesus Christ. He will not, he, he will not reject the woman that comes and sits at his feet and break her in a plastic box, despite her past. He restores her. And I feel that this is more like a family talk this morning. To me, this is not a teaching. It's, a, it's more like a family talk. It's a guys. We want to see Jesus lifted up. We want to see the church of Jesus Christ moving forward unstoppable. But then we need to surrender. We need to give our all, our everything. And then, then our lives need to change the way that Stephen's life has changed. So if we go back to that little section that we had in the beginning, Acts 6, verse 8, what we see there is that, and this is, what you, this is where you have to measure yourself. Don't you see? I don't even have a close time. Okay, I'll stop now. <laughs> this is what I want you to measure yourself against. Not against what the Bible says, or what people say that come in. Just against the scripture of an average guy like Stephen. When his life was at stake. Now, here's the thing. If Willemette asked you to preach next week, and you wanted to preach for a long time now, eh? you'd be, you be saying, if they, if they give me the opportunity, I'm going to preach. And then you get up here, and your mouth goes dry. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even remember what the scripture was that you wanted, to, and, you, and you just... Because, because there's pressure. Now imagine, imagine, Willem is so kind, 
He takes you and he puts you against the wall. And he gets people to point firearms at you, real firearms, AK-47. And tell you to preach. You must want to preach. Preach. <laughs> and you know they're going to shoot. At some stage somebody's going to start shooting. That was Stephen. He's standing there. They didn't have AK-47s, but they had real rocks. And everybody had a rock in his hand and they're ready to throw. And then God says, preach Stephen. And Stephen goes. And he takes out topics. How many of you know about the glory of God that appeared in Mesopotamia? To Abraham. And we've got Google. We still don't know. He's four chapters into his walk with God. He devoted himself to the apostle teaching to the extent that he knew about how God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. He knew what Joseph did and how Joseph... Uh, um, he knew this, something I mean, Google doesn't even show it to you. He knew that it took from the promise that Abram got, it was 215 years till Joseph went into Egypt. And the promise to Abram was you'll have multitudes of people. But the promise only grew by 75 people in 215 years. Because when Joseph called his dad then to come to Egypt, 75 people came. After 215 years of promise. But then from Joseph to be Moses leads the people out of Egypt. It's 215 years again. But now there's 6,000 fighting men. The promise is grown. He knew that. In that sermon, in front of all those bricks, he mentions all that. No why? Because he devoted himself. He didn't wait for somebody to teach him. He didn't wait for somebody to read. He, he wasn't the guy at the bath of Bethesda. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, I want to, I to, want to walk. He said, I've got no one. Jesus didn't ask him, do you have somebody to put you in the boat? Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And sometimes we like that. I don't have anybody to teach me this. No. Acts 2 is clear. They devoted themselves. To the point where he faced death and he preached a message with content that some of us who's got Google, who's got all the encyclopedias, we don't even know that. There's a man who devoted. It shows us what can happen if you devote yourself to the Word of God. So he spoke. His faith spoke. His actions spoke. So just, just please do an audit on yourself as I go along. Because I'm not going to critique you. You're going to critique yourself. Do an audit on yourself. How's this going for you? He spoke and he spoke truth. He spoke with depth. He didn't speak on personal convictions or, you know what, I really think we should wear blue when we worship. Or, you know, I, don't, I think we should only do this kind of song. Or maybe we should do, just do that kind of worship music. He didn't speak on personal conviction. He spoke on the things that were at the very heart of God. That's the kind of man he was. And he devoted himself. So, so, so there's no excuse. Actually, we're sitting here with no excuse. So he spoke. 
His action spoke. His faith spoke. Like I said, his face told a story. His face was like that of an angel. His face said, I'm not scared to die. I'm not scared to die. And if there's one message that we all can preach, maybe you're not a preacher, maybe, maybe you're not somebody who stands in the public, if there's one message that we all can preach, it's by dying one. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of death. We all say, oh, when somebody dies, I is in a better place, but if it's your turn, you don't think it's a better place. <laughs> <laughs> but the believer, if that's the last message and only message you preach, die well. Not fear. Because you know who Jesus is. But if you fear death, then maybe you should double check if you know who Jesus is. So his face spoke, he gave good account, although he had no pulpit. And then lastly, I'm going to mention this, and hopefully this will stir you into this week living for Jesus. If you read further on from where we were, further on in that chapter, chapter 7 onwards, you see them actually throwing him and killing him with stones. And there's two things I'd like to bring up there. They're throwing with stones. They're killing him. And it says, And Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing. Now stop it. Because if we read the scripture, you mentioned ascension then. Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So Stephen's life and death was of such a kind that it brought Jesus to his feet. Because he saw Jesus standing. Jesus gave Stephen a standing ovation for his life. If he had to die today, or if he had to live today, would you bring Jesus to his feet? Meaning that he's super excited. That's my boy. That's my girl. Look at her. Look at her. She's facing death, but she's testifying. The goodness of God. Amen. See, this is more than just it's too cold to go to church. It's too hot to go. It's too this, it's too that. It's a life dedicated to the will of God. A life dedicated to God. The second thing, the last thing that I just by the way want to mention. As Stephen stood there and he looked up and he saw Jesus standing, Stephen said, Forgive them, Lord. Yeah. Now remember, where we read, beginning to read chapter, verse 8, chapter 6, it says, <coughs> Stephen, full of grace and power. Faith there and grace in different um, uh, translations are interchangeable grace and faith. Hear this. Stephen, full of grace and power. Now Stephen stands there, he's dying. And he, he gives grace to those around him. Those who are killing him. He says, God, Father, forgive them for what they're doing now. Now, what's the significance of that? In that crowd, there was a young man standing that made sure that he's going to die. And that young man's name was Paul. 
soul. And I wonder if that action of speaking grace set things in motion so that Paul could actually get born again. Because he didn't say, Father, punish those, punish those. You kill them, Lord. You hit them with lightning because they're throwing me with stones. He said, forgive them. And because he forgave them, Saul can get saved and give us more than half the New Testament. The grace that you speak, you never know who you're going to send through. May you be found as a saint, full with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and grace. There's more. And there's something about what he's saying to all of us is there's more. It's up to you, but there's more for each one of us. For each one of us. Um, so there's two responses that I want to say. That I want to say. Uh, the one thing, as he was speaking about fingerprints being left on people by leadership, I just wanted to say this in the first place. Josh Jenny needs leadership. I'm talking about elders, deacons, comm leaders. We are also in progress. We are also in progress. And even I have the ability to leave bad fingerprints on some of you. You know what the difference is? Is as you are writing your test, I'm willing to write my test as well. And so I've got I'm open to someone coming and saying, hey, I think you left a bad fingerprint on me. And there's the same with each one of the I know, and I trust each one of our comm leaders. And those that the Lord is bringing through, that's why the Lord brings them through as leaders. Because there is something in them, a willingness to say, listen, as you are growing, I'm willing to grow as well. And that's a big difference. And I want to say, so even if we are the ones that leave fingerprints, that we are open for you to come and say, hey, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed it, but you left a fingerprint on me just now. Can we talk about that? That's just one of the things. Um... But I do want us to just respond to, to this because there is something and it's, a, it's easy to say, it's a different thing to walk out because it's something when you open up Pandora's box, when you open up the can of worms and so there's a real earnestness in my own heart before the Lord because I'm also, I'm also standing in front of the same question that you are. Because Clarence's preach this morning is asking us the question, are you willing? To devote yourself. Are you willing to devote yourself? And through that decision that you say, Lord, I'm willing to devote myself. The Lord can take four chapters like he did with Stephen. Or six chapters. I don't know how many chapters. But I promise you the Lord will take you seriously. If you take him seriously. And if you walk out that decision of devoting yourself to him. Then the Lord will start working in you. And through you and doing whatever the plans and the purposes that he has for you. And I want to give that opportunity. So just with everyone, if it's 
really something in your heart and it's one of those occasions where often now everybody starts standing up because the one and I don't want to be the last one sitting. And, but this is honestly, if you're going to stand, if you do it with your, with your lips and with your mouth, that's going to be up to you. Then stand with your, but I want to, I want to ask Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit right now as we're sitting here. I want to pray Lord Jesus that your heart through this preach, not just the words of this preach, but your heart through this preach, your glory. A father that's speaking to his children and saying, hey, I want you closer to me. Devote yourself to me. And through those that I've placed around you and through that, I want to do a work in you and through you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you will work conviction in our hearts. True conviction. Holy Spirit conviction. And so that when we do respond with our lives, when we do respond, it will be a true devotion that comes from our spirit and not just our minds or our mouths or our lips, Lord. And so, Father, but it always starts with this thing. It always starts with response. It always starts with permission. It always starts with something of us giving ourselves. And so, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, when we just have an opportunity to respond to you. And just as a gesture, as a symbolism of that, won't you just, if that's something in you, and you want to respond this morning and say, I want to devote myself, that, that, that through, through something that Aaron said this morning, there's something of a hunger stirring in me that I want to respond to you. Won't you just stand with me this morning? Before, Father, as we stand in front of you this morning, I actually, Paris, would you pray for us? Would you pray that for us? I want to, I want to stand next to them as I'm part of the group that's responding this morning.